1: or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: I don't want to spend too much time talking about this topic because I fear how it will go. But I would just like to ask one question, and then we can move on. We won't spend more than five, six minutes on this, Rob, and you can put a timer on this conversation. Did you guys see the inactives for the Chiefs in their game against the Miami Dolphins? You know, a couple days ago, they released the inactives. Did you see whose name was on the list? Well, one of the names was Justin Ross, which makes sense. He hasn't really been playing for the Chiefs a whole lot. One of them was Kadarius Tony. Now, I don't think anyone is surprised that Kadarius Toney was unhealthy for a Chiefs game. Keith Taylor, I don't know who that is. B.J. Thompson, haven't seen him in months. Wanye Morris, we know that he is dealing with some injuries. Neil Farrell. And the last one was Felix Onyudike Uzama. Now, I know that Felix hasn't been a major contributor this year for the Kansas City Chiefs. But everyone is cool with the fact that the Chiefs don't think that their first round pick can help them in any capacity. He's not dealing with an injury that I know of, right? Is there something that I missed? Is he out with an ankle injury? Did he have a concussion in the last game? Or do the Chiefs just make the decision, you are not good enough. We don't think that you can help us in a postseason game. The only reason that I bring this up is at the second half of the rookie season for George Karloftis, he was one of their most important players and a guy that you trusted in a playoff scenario to come off the edge and help you and help this team win a Super Bowl last year. I look at the other draft picks that they have for this year's Kansas City Chiefs team. You look at their second-round pick, Rasheed Rice. He obviously has been a major contributor for this team. You look at Wanya Morris. He has made a couple of starts for this team. You look at Chamari Connor, who has really started to figure things out the second half of the season. It's not like they're not getting contributions from rookies and young guys who are able to step in and help. Their first round pick is just missing in action, nowhere to be found. He is a, he's not even a guy you trust to come in, give you 10, 15 snaps, only help you in pass rushing downs and situations. How do we go from, we don't trust you really in any scenario to next season, he being a guy that you can feel very comfortable putting in a starting role. That ain't that long from now. That's what. Eight months from now, that the Chiefs would then be counting on that guy to be a starter. I'm just simply asking the question about Felix on I know local kid went to K State, drafted in the first round. This was going to be a redshirt year. They don't think that he can help them in any capacity in the postseason. It was just very. It was a name I was a little bit surprised to see when I saw the inactive list on on Saturday night.
3: It is surprising. I don't want to say it's cause for alarm, but it is a bit concerning that a player like Malik Herring, who no disrespects Malik Herring, but I don't think any Chiefs fan goes, man, we got to get Malik Herring active and on the field. We got to get Malik Herring some snaps. Malik Herring was active. I saw him on the field. He was swag surfing. He was dancing around. He's having a good time. He was active and ready to go. The Chiefs first round pick, a pass rusher from a power five school Was not active. I'm not saying it's a five-alarm fire, but there's a little smoke in the building of, hey, is Felix Aneudike Uzama the guy? And if you recall, I loved the pick. But, you know, nine months later, not a lot of fruit on that tree. So let's wait and see. But I don't know. It's a great early sign.
2: Because
3: I'm seeing Malik Herring. He got in the
2: game. He played six snaps. Mike Pinnell, who was on the street a couple of weeks ago. And I like Mike Pinnell, friend of the show. He played in 14 snaps. There's some snaps that are available. They just aren't going to Felix on you, DK. It was just something that stood out to me. Again, we don't got to spend too much time on it. I just, they are getting contributions from their early draft picks. Rasheed Rice, obviously, Chamari Connor, Wanya Morris, their top four picks, three of them are contributing to a playoff team. There's only one of them that cannot see the field really in any capacity, and that is their first-round pick in Felix UDK Uzama. I do have another question here unrelated to the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get back to the Chiefs here coming up in about 10 minutes as our guy Mitchell Schwartz is going to join us in studio to recap the game from Saturday and also look ahead to this weekend coming up against the Buffalo Bills. Rob, let's say that you could go back in a time machine with the information that we now have about Baker Mayfield. So you can take what you know about Baker And you can go back to that year's draft class and apply that information. He obviously would not be the number one overall pick anymore. Where do you think that Baker Mayfield would now be drafted with the information that we have? And maybe this is me and I liked Baker coming out of Oklahoma. It made sense for me with Cleveland. They needed a certain level of swagger, chip on your shoulder, kind of like what we're seeing with Dan Campbell. Like, you got to have a different mindset if you're the coach of the Lions or you're in Cleveland. You just got to feel a little bit differently. And the fan base is going to embrace you, and you're going to be a cult hero to those people. So I understood why Cleveland was really high on Baker Mayfield, given his college pedigree and his demeanor and attitude. Now that we have the information on Baker Mayfield, where do you think he gets drafted? Because he's probably a high second-round pick, in my opinion. Kind of like where we saw Derek Carr get drafted when he was coming out of Fresno State, or Andy Dalton, we saw him come out of TCU. I think that's where Baker Mayfield is, but he has the ability. He made a couple of those throws, certainly to the tight end Otten, who made a couple of really good catches yesterday in the game. Baker Mayfield will make one or two throws, you're like, huh, I see it. I get it. Like, he will do something that reminds you why he won the Heisman Trophy and why he was such a prospect coming out of college. I mean, he will usually then have an interception or a turnover or make mistakes, but I don't think people have maybe given Baker enough credit for, I don't know if turning his career around is probably the right way, but Baker looked like he was on the way out. He was really bad in Carolina. He then played for the Rams. He had four, Like he was really bad. He got one more chance to be a starting quarterback in the league, and if this Buccaneers thing didn't work, he was probably heading to Big 12 Network. He was probably heading to go work at ESPN in college game day. He seemed like he was on the way out. He was really good this year, completed 64% of his passes, 4,000 yards, 28 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. His team won their division, and they just won a playoff game. Baker Mayfield was one of the top 16 quarterbacks in the league this year. The good version of Baker, you can win with? Bad Baker will obviously get you in a lot of trouble. Where do you think Baker gets drafted now with the information that we have?
3: Somewhere between 25 and 35. Like, I could see, like, late first round, if he was in the draft, a team trades back in and says, okay, I'm going to make him my quarterback. You get the fifth year option, you make it work. But Andy Dalton is probably the player, you know, early second round pick, Will Levis, somewhere in that range. You mentioned the bounce back from his career being near over. It's too bad he's not allowed to win comeback player of the year because Baker Mayfield has a really good resume. He was thought to be out of the league. If you'll remember in August, we didn't talk about it. He was in a quarterback battle at camp in Tampa Bay with Kyle Trask. That was Tampa Bay in August is it going to be Baker or Trask. Who's the heir apparent to Tom Brady An actual conversation on Tampa sports talk. He won the job. He won the division and he won a playoff game while having a good season. It's a real shame. He's not allowed to win comeback player of the year because by all the metrics, he should be a contender.
2: One thing that I think has always been very telling around Baker Mayfield is other NFL players seem to really like Baker Mayfield. There is a tremendous value, in my opinion, on being able to be one of the guys and being a guy that other NFL players are going to follow and believe in. And I think that's exactly what Baker Mayfield is. I told you, I think Tampa is a lot more lively than I think people are going to give them credit this weekend. Big emotional win for Detroit. They finally won their first home playoff game in 30 years. Fans are crying. They won their division. The Lions have checked every box that we had for them at the very beginning of the season. Are they going to be able emotionally to turn around a week later and go do it again? Is their goal to win the Super Bowl or was their goal to win a playoff game? Rob, we've seen this on like a smaller set. Some people get to the NBA, they get to the NFL, and hey, we made it. I accomplished the 1% of the 1%, and that's kind of the last time we hear of them. The goal for Detroit was to win their division, to host a home playoff game, and to win one playoff game. Are they going to be a good enough team to win when everybody's patting you on your back, telling you how great you were this week, and everybody is picking you to win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think this is a very interesting spot for the Detroit Lions, a spot that, quite frankly, we have never seen the Detroit Lions in for as long as I can remember. Coming up on the other side, a guy who certainly knows what it means to win in the postseason, former All-Pro right tackle Mitchell Schwartz will join us in studio to give his thoughts on Saturday's win against the Dolphins and also look ahead to the game against the Buffalo Bills. Very happy to be joined by Mitchell Schwartz in studio. That's coming up. Keep it right here. So drive.
0: You're listening to the drive with Carrington Harrison brought to you by deepest quality more car truck or motorcycle wreck. Remember Mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas city chiefs, 610 sports radio call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
5: Kansas City, is Nick Bolton. Can big old M-I-Z? You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app.
2: It is an honor and a privilege to look to my right and see a former all-pro right tackle. Mitchell Shorts joins us in studio. Mitch, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. All right, let's start with this. This is my biggest question. How does someone deal with how cold it's been? Like, what's your mindset? What's your preparation? All of that going into a game when you know it is going to be as cold as you have ever been.
5: So you just have to accept it and embrace it and know that it's not going to be super fun you're not going to be <laughs> feeling great so my, my thing has always been we have it the easiest in terms of the guys playing the game out of anyone in that building because we have the heated benches we have people looking after our every need we have the second we run out the sidelines equipment guys or whoever like having those big jackets to put over us everything how warm are those jackets because they look incredibly warm I don't know that the jacket itself is the warmest. Um, so this is a pro trick. If you ever see this on the sidelines, if you're going to be standing, then you want to get the jacket over your shoulders, like from the back, like like it's typical, and kind of you know pull it over the front. If you're going to be seated, especially on the heated bench, you actually want to take the jacket and put it over the front of your body. So when you sit down it traps in all the heat from the heated bench and your own body heat beneath you. Cause if you put the jacket on and it's draped over your back and you sit down, you're basically blocking off all of the heat from the heated bench. So the real smart people tend to get the jackets and whether you get them put on your back or not, when you actually go sit on the heated bench, that's when you shift it around and you put it over the front of you. And then you sit on your hands so that your hands get warmed from the bench directly. And from underneath your thighs, because I mean, I don't know what it's like for quarterbacks. I'd, I, don't know how Pat does what he does in cold games, but your hands are the first thing that, like, actually hurt in cold games. And those are the things that, like, for me, I was always trying to get warm again. So, um, yeah, you just you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to be miserable. You come up with a bit of a plan in terms of what you want to wear, how many layers, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, you just kind of <laughs> try to roll from there. Is it more of a physical challenge or a
2: mental challenge? I don't know if you were at the game or not. But during the halftime, they showed Mike McDaniel. He was interviewed by the sideline reporter for NBC. And it became very, very obvious to me that Mike McDaniel was ready to go back inside. Like, you could just (laughs) sense it in his body language, and his voice. He just didn't want any parts of it. And then you look at Kansas City, you look at Andy Reid, his mustache is frozen over. And he is he seemed very unfazed by all of it. It seemed like Kansas City mentally was much more prepared for the elements that they came out and they threw the ball in their first three possessions, which to me was kind of, hey, we're not going to let the weather dictate what kind of offense that we're going to be today. I thought that Kansas City was just more mentally prepared for everything on Saturday. Is it much more of a physical challenge or a mental challenge dealing with
5: the weather? I think it's mental and because even if you are in physical pain, there's still the mental component of how you're going to deal with it. And again, talking about Pat, we've seen whenever he's been injured, you look at you know last year, and uh, seems like he breaks his leg and has a big ankle injury and stuff. He can put that stuff aside and just kind of power through it in a way that other people can't, and that's a mind over matter thing. And so these scenarios are mind over matter. I mean, I can guarantee you, Coach was not feeling great being that cold, but he has a bit of like a toughness thing himself, and he doesn't wear you know the face coverings, and he doesn't like when guys have hands in their pockets and all sorts of things, and he powers through it and it's a toughness thing and you just kind of push, you know, through that type of thing. I do think there's an element that because we live in this kind of weather and even if it has been pretty mild, you know, for the most part, it hasn't gotten below 30 very much, um, but you get used to 45 degrees. You get used to practicing outdoors and, you know, mid-40s and might be a little bit windy every now and again. And you get sort of slowly used to that weather. And Miami comes here and their coldest day has probably been in the 60s. And now they're looking at zero with, you know, minus 20 windchill. And it's a huge shock to your system. And that's something that, you know, I used to keep my house a little colder in the winter, warmer in the summer. Partly because I'm cheap and because I don't want to, you know, heat and cool the house as much. But also, I thought there was an element of getting used to a temperature that maybe you wouldn't necessarily want, you know, for the most part. I'm a bigger guy, so, you know, that 68 to 70 range is pretty ideal, especially in the summer. But if the house is 74 degrees, maybe you get acclimated to that. And when it's 99 degrees the first week in Jacksonville, you go down there, or when you're at St. Joe practicing, or when the first week rolls around and it's 92 and humid and Arrowhead, maybe you're a few degrees more used to it than someone else is. Or in the winter, you know, if your house is 61, 62, I, I never keep it that cold, but say you get used to, you know, being low to mid 60s that's going to be more comfortable to be at 30 degrees than someone who's used to 72, you know? So I think there's an element of that to the much larger degree of Miami stays in Miami and they're used to 60s, 70s, 80s. Our guys at that point were used to, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. And so as cold as it is, you're just more used to it. And because we also live here and play here, you've had more experience with it in the past and you know how to deal with Uh, The extremes of that nature.
2: The most encouraging thing about the game to me was this was the first game that I feel Kansas City really embraced the formula that this team has to win with. They're not going to have some of the offensive performances that you were a part of when you played on this team. This team's going to stall in the red zone sometimes. This team is going to have to overcome a penalty, but I thought they really relied on Isaiah Pacheco. He had 25 touches in the game. They really focused in on Rasheed Rice. They really focused in on Travis Kelsey, and they really minimized the opportunities and touches for everybody else on the team. And this team might have the best defense of any team remaining in the postseason. If this team is going to go on the road against Buffalo and win, and maybe have to go on the road and beat Baltimore next week, The formula that they just beat Miami with, that's the formula that they're going to need to do. Run the ball, play good defense. Pat can't make a mistake. That's the formula that's going to help this team advance. It's not going to be the 35-31 that we've been accustomed to over the last uh, few years or so.
5: I agree. I was thinking the same thing even early in the game after the first drive, that it's almost like the weather kind of forced us into the optimal version of what the Chiefs are going to be because you would still like to throw the ball, and we did, and – You know, it's kind of Vic Fangio slash personnel uh, on Miami being able to throw the ball down the field with more success than we had in the past because they didn't have the guys. We were able to hold hold up in protection when, you know, Justin Houston, who signed four days ago, was playing. Um, And, you know, at a certain point, really two or three drives in, Fangio realized they can't rush for against our team. Um, They had to start blitzing, so then it becomes a blitz fest then all the two high looks and all the deep throws that we used to not be able to get are now wide open and we're able to look like a more similar version of the offense of of what we're used to. But I think it seemed like guys stepped up a little bit more. And I don't know, you know, I've talked about before kind of just the toll of the season and everyone's gunning for you. And it's difficult to have a playoff mentality, you know, physicality, all that stuff especially from the offensive line, every single week. That's what you strive to do. That's, you know, what you try to do. Um, but that's not necessarily the reality of, you know, how humans work. And so this was a playoff game from our offensive line. I think they brought it. You know, there's that awesome clip of, you know, Trey and Jawan double-teaming Wilkins, and Trey's <laughs> dribbling him around like a basketball for, you know, about 10 or 15 yards. And every time he starts to get up, he gives him another shove. And at the end of the play, Trey's, like, standing over him. You can tell he's talking and Wilkins is a guy who likes to talk back, and he just kind of took it and walked back to the huddle. Like, he didn't get in Trey's face. He didn't bark back, you know. So that was the performance I think we're used to seeing of the offensive line, the physicality. Um, maybe it's just, you know, playoff time. It's time to turn that on. And that, to me, would be the biggest thing moving forward because that allows the cleaner pockets and pass protection. That allows cleaner run lanes with with Pacheco, Um So, yeah, I'm excited to see if that uh, follows through in Buffalo this week.
2: You mentioned physicality. I felt like you got that from the secondary as well. I'm sure you've seen the video right now with Snead and Tyree Kill to have your arguably best corner, depends on if you want to say it's Trent McDuffie, two really talented corners to have him manhandle maybe the best receiver in the NFL this year, I thought this team came out with that kind of tone that you're talking about. We are the more physical team. We're going to punch this team in the mouth. That it just sounds like cliche, but in playoff football, the team that can do that and can really control the fight and dictate the fight, that's usually the team that wins these games.
5: Yeah, it is, and you saw that this whole weekend because you looked at the first quarter of Green Bay and Dallas. It looked like Green Bay went in with a better mindset more physicality, more toughness. And now part of that's, you know, the first quarter starts unfolding in a certain way and guys get discouraged and all that stuff. But you can tell that first quarter, like, oh, both these teams got it. Um, You know, Detroit against um, the Rams, that one was apparent that both teams were bringing it in the first quarter. Um, You know, you look at some of those other games that turned into blowouts and you can kind of tell, like, all right, this looks like one team is much more ready and much more prepared than the other. You know, Houston looked that way. Buffalo looked that way. So the mentality you know to link it back to us talking about the cold like that mentality is the thing that permeates through everything all the guys on the field are good football players you know even if i make the joke a guy signed four days ago still good football players they can all be successful the mentality what you set your mind to what you decide to do how you decide to show up uh, to the field usually determines what happens in a game and you know this is a team that's. Tested before, and we know that they tend to uh, be a lot better in these situations. Right now, we're joined in studio by Mitchell Schwartz here, just going through the playoffs. We'll get
2: you ready for Chiefs and Bills here coming up in a bit. I think the playoffs really do a good job of just, like, showing you what you are, and they kind of, like, hold a mirror up to your team. Like, I look at Cleveland, really good defense at home, really struggled on the road defensively. Houston, they've got a young star quarterback. He showed that this week. You look at Green Bay, a lot of talented young offensive pieces. Dallas they've had to overcome some of their playoff failures over the last couple years unable to do it Philadelphia was a team that really struggled the last two months that just continued I feel like the playoffs you kind of get that those teams that have really been stumbling and playing poorly you don't just magically turn it on once it's time to turn it on Philadelphia couldn't turn it on and those things I feel like the playoffs really show you who
5: you are as a team yeah they do and I think it is interesting when you look at you know the way Baltimore's approached things, the way San Fran, the way the Chiefs, and you look at the Lions, and you look at the Browns. You know all teams that kind of knew their fates to a, a degree. The Lions were the only one that wasn't, you know, completely locked up in Week 18. But for the most part, you kind of knew you were going to be the three seed. There wasn't a ton to play for, and they decide like, no, we're playing ball. We're going to play everybody. We're going to do our thing. And that's a scenario where they could have you know, not necessarily taken the week off, but they could have played just a little bit, and obviously Laporta gets hurt and was able to play and look pretty good. Um, But they had, I believe, played maybe Dallas the week before. They have the, you know, did he report, did he not report, very tough uh, loss. And, you know, Campbell's probably sitting there thinking, like, I don't want to sit certain guys and to go into the playoffs with this feeling of, oh, well, we lost to Dallas the last time I played. So they decide, hey, we're going to keep playing ball. And I think that translated pretty well for them. You look at, you know, Cleveland basically rested everybody, um, and that didn't work out for them. I mean, there's no, like, it doesn't always work out in a certain direction. But I do think it's interesting to see, you know, the Chiefs, I thought were actually going to play guys for, like, a quarter or so, um, or, you know, a half, because I thought they played better in Week 17, but not necessarily, like, great football. And I was just curious if – you know, coach wanted to get guys that one or two drives almost like a preseason game and feel like excellent. You know, maybe the first 15 just rocks and you go up and down the field, you have a 12 play drive score, a touchdown. Okay, great. Let's get the starters out. Now we've got this, you know, good feeling going into the playoffs. You know, he didn't do that. But Kansas City is probably the only team that really does seem to turn it on in these situations. You know, Baltimore rests the quarterback, and now we don't know what Lamar's going to look like after, you know, three weeks of sitting historically not quite as good in the playoffs and not quite as good after sitting. You know Kyle Shanahan played pretty much everybody who was healthy except for Purdy and his rationale was I don't like guys sitting, you know, 2 weeks in a row and basically having 3 weeks off between games. He talked about that specifically with Trent Williams and you know Trent has missed some time with injuries in the past and he's like I see what Trent looks like that first week he's back and it's not the same and I see what guys look like when they come back from extended time off. And it's just not quite the same, not as sharp. So Shanahan played guys a little bit more uh, than some of these other teams to you know, get into the bye week. So it is interesting, the mindset of, of teams and coaches. I think to rest guys and to kind of have that be your base state, you have to have done it before and kind of set a standard for what that looks like because it is easy after 17 grueling weeks to kind of shut your brain off and to be like, oh, I got this. And you just kind of turn that week into – you know a bi-week mentally and you can't do that and i think the chiefs do a really good job and so that is why we're able to rest guys and start things fresh and i think that's you know another reason why we start season so so quickly because the team is able to stay mentally sharp when you're not necessarily playing a lot
2: is going to be made about patrick's first road playoff game and i know the super bowl was in tampa neutral site weird covid a lot of things This is the first true roadside. I'm not worried at all about Patrick Mahomes in this environment. I don't care where it is. Seattle and their crowd, Buffalo. I'm not worried about this as an offensive player. What is the difference in playing in these home games and road games? And of all the environments that Pat has probably played in, this is going to be the most hostile one that I think he's gone into. And, I trust him in this scenario, but you got a lot of young guys who haven't seen anything like they're about to see. Like if there is any team that has been circling and waiting for Kansas city to come to their stadium, it is the Buffalo bills (laughs) and that fan base. What is it like to go on the road in these kind of environments?
5: It's fun. I mean, it makes your life more difficult as an offensive lineman because you struggle to hear the quarterback and you know, the way, huddles work I don't know how much people really look at them but you know typically your linemen are on one side uh, you know five skill guys are on the other the quarterback enters and he's kind of next to one of the linemen and one of the skill guys and which direction he enters from depends on which sideline you're on and which side of the field you're going towards so for you know half of the game two quarters he enters on one side and the other half he enters on the other because of which direction you're going and you know typically he kind of gets one lineman into the huddle so he's standing next to the second lineman as he enters the huddle well if you're the tackle and you're behind him and it's really loud you can't hear him because you can't see the mouth move and you can't just pick up all the words so a lot of the times you'll see you know offensive tackles as the quarterback's getting into the huddle if it's really loud like stop the quarterback from going too far into the huddle so that he can still get a look of the guy's mouth and kind of see the words as they're coming out Um, that's how loud it gets like literally the guy is two feet in front of you talking in a different direction and yelling pretty loud, and you cannot hear him. And so you get to the line of scrimmage, and now you're talking about shotgun, and he's five yards away from you. You have no chance. And so that's the biggest change, especially from the offensive line perspective. Now we've got a veteran group of offensive linemen, and so they've dealt with road games. They've dealt with playing in you know difficult scenarios. So I'm not too worried about that. Receivers, I mean, there is some verbal stuff that goes on um, that will be nonverbal this week. But for the most part, they're just watching the ball anyway, so they're not necessarily, you know, timing up the snap count or they're not trying to uh, listen to, you know, what, what what Pat's saying from that perspective. So the operation should flow pretty smoothly. Um, you know, defensively, great. It's going to be quiet when Buffalo's on the field, so they can use verbal communication, you know, for the most part. Uh, every single time our team's been in the playoffs, you know, our defense has had to use nonverbal communication because of how loud it is at Arrowhead. So, um yeah, the, the hearing the quarterback will be the most difficult part. Um, I know there's been a couple times it seems like plays come in slow and that gets exacerbated if you're in an environment this way. And so that's probably the most curious part of operation-wise what I'm looking at uh, this upcoming week is do we have to take uh, any air and timeouts? Do we have delay a games? Because you know, obviously we like to break the huddle. We like to shift guys and move them in motion and use double and triple cadences. So. What are we going to be able to do? How quickly are the plays going to be getting into Pat? Uh, can we utilize all those things for the best of our advantage? Because, you know, you're going up against a good team. You want to get all those man's own looks. You want to, you know, make sure you have the full uh, package of what you want to show them offensively. From a rest perspective, how big
2: of an advantage is it is for Kansas City that they get the extra two days. They play on Saturday and then Buffalo plays on Miami. How big of a disadvantage is it for Buffalo to be
5: in that kind of rest disadvantage? I think people would say it's a disadvantage. I personally don't think it's as big of a disadvantage. I wasn't someone that felt that terrible during the week, and I, I didn't necessarily notice. You know, I had no problem with Thursday games. I had no problem with other things. Obviously, I was someone who was mostly healthier than most other people, so I don't know if my body just works a little differently, and you know, I'm also slower and slower twitch guy, and so maybe these these guys are a little quicker and they have more quick twitch muscles. Uh, get a little more sore than I did. So I think there is an element of, you know, us having a bit of an advantage. Um, The flip side is, I mean, they ended up having an extra day to recover from the regular season and uh, you know, the rest kind of balances out. And I just kind of have the viewpoint that this will be such a charged environment. And um, obviously this has been, like you said, kind of circled on their calendar for a few years, wanting to get us into their stadium in the playoffs that I think you know, the adrenaline, the emotion should overcome any of that. You know, I think if Buffalo would have any letdown, it would be if they beat us the week after either going to Baltimore or hosting Houston um, in terms of turning around on a short week and then having a really emotional game and having a big victory. That's when I think fatigue could possibly set in. But for, you know, a single game scenario like this where, you know, they had eight days before the last game, I don't know that it's going to matter too much.
2: Give me your Chiefs win if, Bills win if scenario. I know the Bills are a slight favorite in this game, but this is a coin flip kind of game. These are two teams that are obviously very familiar with each other, two of the better quarterbacks in the league, two great defenses. These are two very, very evenly matched teams. What's your Chiefs win if scenario?
5: What's your Bills win if scenario? Good question. Um, I think the Bills win if Josh Allen doesn't try to be a superhero. He's an exceptional player. He had like four superhero moments last game. But we've seen it in the past that he wants to make every single play. He wants to, you know, make everything right on the field. And he will push the limits of what is responsible from a quarterback, um, both in terms of interceptions and turnovers and also uh, taking hits and being physical. And so I think if he plays within himself and he is just awesome Josh Allen and not I need to be superhero Josh Allen, Uh, the Bills will win because him at his best is pretty close to as good as any quarterback in the NFL, you know, the side of our guy. Um, And I think that unlocks the best that Buffalo has to offer. I think, you know, we win if offensively our line shows up as physically and as dominant as they did last game because really the only redeeming quality of the Bills' defense at this point is their defensive line. You know, their linebackers are decimated. Their secondary's got some injuries. I don't think you know anyone's penciling them in as you know awesome cover uh, secondary at this point. And so if our O-line can be physical, play you know, kind of Chiefs, playoff O-line football, that means we'll control things on offense. And like you said, if there are you know mishaps, if there's a penalty here and there, if there's a stall out in the red zone, our O-line will overcome that and will allow us to have more opportunities to score points. And so I think um when you're looking at things. You know, offensively for both teams, those are my uh, two coaching points. The thing about Josh Allen, because I think you could argue that Josh Allen's
2: the second-best quarterback. Maybe you think it's Burrow, but it's it's Pat's one, and then we can have a debate on who you
5: think the second-best quarterback. I know that there's own. a debate. I think he's pretty clearly number two, um, and I think the debate starts after that. So you would have Allen two, Burrow
2: three. We were actually having this conversation about C.J. Stroud and where you would rank him <laughs> at.
5: So – as of right now, I mean, th- this is the thing. Things are liable to change. I think Pat's one, Allen's two, I think Lamar's three, um, I think Burrow's four, and I think the break starts at four, and then number five becomes really interesting. Um, I said Matthew Stafford earlier. Yeah, that, then that gets into the, like, are you just ranking them right now or are you ranking them for the next three years or all that stuff? Because if you take all the health considerations out, then based on Stafford's last year – to three years you would probably put staffer number five um so yeah i think that's a pretty well-rounded top five i just think lamar has mostly played really good football um basing his ranking off of i guess what the organization did in terms of giving him weapons like if pat had three straight seasons of you know this roster construction and the lack of weapons and an offense that wasn't necessarily suited towards what he does best, um, then, yeah, he would look worse than his true talent level. And then Lamar gets into an offense that's a little more built for him. He gets some, I wouldn't even say great receiving core, but confident receivers and guys who are, uh, have been good in the past or up and coming. And Lamar all of a sudden looks a little bit better, and he's probably going to win the MVP this year. So, um, yeah, I think Lamar's three, Burrow's four. I mean, it's all debatable. But I do think that top four – I wouldn't debate too much whether you want to move guys around two, three, four. Obviously that's why I rank them. But, uh, I think the, the clear break comes at number four.
2: That is our guy, Mitchell Schwartz joining us in studio, former all pro right tackle, help getting you ready for the divisional round between the chiefs and the
5: bills. Mitch man, always appreciate your time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one It. uh, It'll be a, a great environment. Hopefully, Bill's fans don't do anything to harm themselves, but uh, it's always fun to see the videos. You hope that. I mean, do do this, this, this. at this moment right now, someone is
2: buying a table, and they are buying...
5: Yeah, because they burned the other one. You see that? <laughs>
2: yeah, no, someone is buying <laughs> propane, and they are buying a table, so they can jump through it. There is one thing that Mitch said that does bother me about Sunday's game. I'll tell you what it is. Keep it right here. It's The Drive.
0: The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car wreck... Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given
1: month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra.
3: Kansas City, it's Brett Veach. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app.
2: I am in a positive mind state this week. I know at some point I'll say something. You guys will call me Buzz Killington or Debbie Downer. I assure you that is not how I feel. But I would like to play some audio for for you from Mitchell Schwartz. This is a guy who was an all-pro this is a guy who has a chance of being in the Chiefs ring of honor, who is banging the drum, who has a Super Bowl ring. This was one of his concerns about playing on the road. Now, I want you to now hear it, and I want you to think about a certain offensive lineman who struggles with leaving early. I want you to hear what Mitch is saying and think of one Chiefs player who was the most penalized player in the National Football League since 2015. Think about it. The Royals won the World Series in 2015. This player had more penalties than any other player in the National Football League
5: from now until when the Royals won the World Series. Here's Mitchell Schwartz. Well, if you're the tackle and you're behind him and it's really loud, you can't hear him because you can't see the mouth move and you can't just pick up all the words so a lot of the times you'll see you know offensive tackles as the quarterback's getting into the huddle if it's really loud like stop the quarterback from going too far into the huddle so that he can still get a look of the guy's mouth and kind of see the words as they're coming out um that's how loud it gets like literally the guy is two feet in front of you talking in a different direction and yelling pretty loud and you cannot hear him and so you get to the line of scrimmage and now you're talking about shotgun and he's five yards away from you you have no chance and so that's the biggest change, especially from the offensive line perspective. Now we've got a veteran group of offensive linemen and so they've dealt with road games, they've dealt with playing in, you know, difficult scenarios. So I'm not too worried about that. Receivers, I mean, there is some verbal stuff that goes on, um, that will be nonverbal this week, but for the most part, they're just watching the ball anyway. So they're not necessarily, you know, timing up the snap count or they're not trying to uh, listen to, you know, what, what what Pat's saying from that perspective. So The operation should flow pretty smoothly. All
2: I'm saying is, and again, I'm not here to be negative. I am here to spread love and positivity for this entire playoff run. I leave the negativity to Rob Brenton. He's certainly going to have enough of it for me, for you, and for the whole city. His negativity could power Olathe. That's how much he has. I am... Convinced at this point that every single game, the chiefs will have to overcome a Jawan Taylor penalty. He had 19 this year. The records 21. He was almost a Patrick Mahomes of committing penalties. He was almost a Randy Moss, the Jerry Rice, the Barry Sanders of committing penalties this year. He was almost there. He would have been first team all pro if it was in being penalized. I know the refs were picking on him. He got pushed in the back. It wasn't fair. The officials have it out for him. I know. At this point, I don't care. I am just, I am resigned to the fact that at some point on Sunday, they are going to have a positive play. It's going to be a catch to Travis Kelsey. It's going to be a long run from Isaiah Pacheco. Something positive is going to happen for the Chiefs. You're going to be excited. You're going to jump off your couch in enthusiasm. Yes, let's go. You're going to aggressively clap. And next thing in that bottom right-hand corner, you're going to see flag. And the thing is, you're going to know exactly who that penalty is on. You're not going to question it. You're not going to think, oh, this is on Rasheed Rice. You're not going to think, oh, this is on Joe Tooney. No. You know who that penalty is going to be on. And that scares me. It does. I'm serious. It scares me. It really does. Someone on the text line says, I wonder how many he had together. 19 of those were accepted. It was 21. 21. They threw 21 flags this season on Jawan Taylor. The record for accepted penalties in 21 is 21 and 24 flags thrown. So that's just to answer your question. 21 flags. People. They've played 18 games every game. You can guarantee it. Lock it in. Put it in stone. As real as the sun rises and sets is a Jawan Taylor penalty, and that bothers me. That bothers me because in the same way that you as a fan base get on guys in the same way that you are fueled by knowing that you have an effect on the game, that you can cause a false start and how it gets you fired up and ready to go, they are playing a fan base that is exactly like you. Bill's Nation and the Chiefs Kingdom, it is a Spider-Man meme. You are the only two fan bases, maybe aside from Green Bay, that would have been out in that weather we saw a couple of days ago. As much as you like Tailgating, they love Tailgating. As much as you like getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning to drink for an 8 p.m. game, they love it. You are the same. And I've seen you guys. You're like wolves. And the moment that you sense weakness, you attack. Jawan Taylor is weak on that right side. You know what I'm saying is true. It's going to be third and two false start. And now it's third and seven. And that crowd is going to be screaming on the other side. Screaming. I just, that's, that's how I feel. That's where I am with Jawan Taylor. It
3: just every week, bro. Every single week. Does it make it worse that the strength of the Bills defense is their D line? So I see some of the text lines say, screw all that timing stuff. Just wait for the ball to be snapped. When you got Von Miller, even criminal case looming old Von Miller standing across from you. I promise you want to be as fast out of your stance as you can. That probably adds another element to this. Is that there might be a penalty, but you're going up against the best unit on the Chiefs D. Oh, excuse me, the Bills D. It's it's very concerning that Juwan Taylor had a penalty against decrepit Justin Houston last week. I worry what happens when he's up against Greg Rousseau.
2: Text line's telling me to, to move on. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry, y'all. Again, I'm not here to upset anybody this week. We are all on the same team. We all want the same thing. I'm cheering for the Chiefs. You're cheering for the Chiefs. I'm just trying to figure out the best course of action. And that man, Jawan Taylor, he scares me. He worries me. He's jumpy. He's grabby. He's handsy. That that bothers me in a matchup like this between two incredibly even teams. Every week it feels like he has a, a mission of taking a touchdown off the board and turning it into a field goal. And that might be the reason why you get eliminated this year in the postseason is a Jawan Taylor penalty. I would be beside myself if it happened, and I imagine that you will as well. You know what? Coming up on the other side, Rob, let's get back to something incredibly positive and upbeat and cheery. There is one thing that the Chiefs did on Saturday that gets my 100% approval, and maybe they have been listening and paying attention. I'll tell you what it is. Keep it right here. It's the drive.